it occurred to me this morning, too, that this is the eighth Sunday that we have gathered this way uh, virtually. And after you've done something that many times, it's easy to kind of fall into a new routine. And probably you at home are falling into a new Sunday routine. And whenever we reopen and and you're able to come back, we're going to have to adjust again. I mean, we've had some major adjustments over the last couple of months. We're going to have to adjust again. But we want to help you with those adjustments and make it just as clear as we can what these steps are going to look like. So we're going to have more information about that for you on Friday uh, as the governor announces uh, what's happening with the the, um, parts of the state that are reopening. We want to be right there and and, um, give you some more information about that. If you are new with us this morning, maybe this is the first time you have tuned in to Grace Point, we would love to know that you're worshiping with us. If you would, just text the word WELCOME to 267-291-0855. And that will make a connection with us. That way we can, we can know your name, we can reach out to you, we can give you some more information about the church and even prepare you, hopefully, for, for joining us live when we're able to, to return. That way we can get you on that mailing list so you can find out the information about our phased reopening plans. Want to also continue to uh, support our our general fund, and so thank you so much for those of you who are continuing with your steady stewardship. I was looking at a verse uh, in the book of Deuteronomy this morning. Deuteronomy 16:17 says, "Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that He has given you." It's appropriate. For us to give back. Everything we have comes from God. And so it's appropriate for us to give back to him. So we have uh, online giving available to you to continue supporting uh, this ministry and, and many other ministries uh, that are going on through, the, through Grace Point uh, during this, this season. Well, uh, how we define a win determines how we pursue a win. So I I know some of you may remember this game that used to be played uh, in the United States, especially during the summer. It's called baseball. And baseball is this game that involves this little little white ball and uh, and a bat and running around bases. That's why it's called baseball. So the win of baseball, the definition of a win in the game baseball is, is really very simple. You have two teams and the team that scores more points wins. Okay, that's that's the win. So we have wins in lots of areas of our life. Probably in your workplace, you have a win. You have a goal that you're shooting for. Maybe there's a product that you produce. Maybe there's a service that you provide. And I suspect that over the last several weeks, the win for your workplace has been revisited. I know we we have been meeting as staff uh, online, and we have looked to adjust some of our win. Our win, honestly, for the last couple of months has been to say, how can we help people stay connected with our church family, within our church family, even though we can't come together physically? And so, so a lot of companies are pivoting and redefining, clarifying their, their win. For some companies, the win right now is just to survive. It's just how can we keep from laying people off? How can we keep as many customers as we possibly can? It, it, it's important to define the win because how we define the win then determines how we pursue that win. Here's my question for you to think about this morning. How do you think God defines the win for your life. 
Okay, I want you to really answer that question in your mind this morning. How, what do you think God's win is? If, if God was looking at your life and said, Here, here's how you win at life, what does that look like? It's a really important question because how we answer that question is going to determine how we pursue that win. There are a lot of people who believe that the win God wants for our lives is that we do a lot of good things. There, there are a lot of people who look at, for, for example, like Mother Teresa as the example of if I could be like her, then God will be happy with me. And we look at Mother Teresa and we think about the, the incredible life that she lived and we think, okay, I can't measure up to that. So, okay, the next best thing is I'll just try to do more good than I do bad. If I can do more good than bad, then, then hopefully God will be satisfied with that. Here's the thing. One day you and I will stand before God and we will give an account for this life that he has given us to live. And if we're wrong about that, if, if, if in fact God's win is not just let's do more good than bad, then what we're going to find when we stand before God is that we have wasted all the time that he's given us. We, we have wasted our efforts and we've pursued very, very possibly the wrong thing. So this morning, what, what I want us to look at is how does God define that win for our life? And, and I think that we're going to find that God's definition of a win for our life is very different than what many people think. And so what we have the opportunity to do today is to align, realign our expectations with, with his expectations of us so that we can win his way. So if you have a Bible or if you have a device, I'd love for you to turn to Colossians chapter 1 with me if you would. We are walking uh, very slowly through this letter to, to the Colossians. And uh, we are in week seven. And uh, in fact, we're going to finish. We're actually going to finish chapter one today. But I want to give you just a few high points of, of the series so far. We started off the first week and really we defined what the theme of the whole book is. And we find that in verse two. Um, to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. That, that those two words there in Christ kind of captures the theme of, of the whole book. And as we talk about in this series, the idea of finding solid ground in a shifting world, the solid ground, we, we said, is not a principle we believe. It's not a practice that we do. It's a person that we hold on to. And his name is, is Jesus Christ. And then on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Day, we talked about the fact that God did something so that we could have something. And so we see that in verses 13 and 14. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what God did so that we could have something in whom, verse 14, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And last week we drilled into that idea of forgiveness just a little bit more and we talked about reconciliation and we said that God reconciled us, Christ reconciled us so that we could stand and keep standing. In verse 22, 
It says Christ has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. If you were with us last week, we looked at three sets of triplets, past, present, future. And I hope that you grabbed hold of one of those words this week from the present or or the future. I have been clinging on to that word blameless. There's been a lot of moments this week where I have not felt blameless. But my feelings are not the definition of how God views me. God chooses how he views me, and he says I'm blameless. So I'm holding on to that. You keep holding on to that word that God has defined for for your life as well. Today, we're going to look at the last paragraph of chapter 1. And this paragraph begins and ends with suffering. And in the middle of that is God's win for us. So let's read through this, starting in verse 24. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake... And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Okay, in case you missed the win, okay, it was in verse 28. Christ we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. God's, God's goal for us is, is maturity. That's, that's what God, that how, is how God defines the win for us. God's goal for us is maturity and the path will be hard. So what, what, is, what does the word mature mean? We should understand what that word means. If that is our goal and what we're going to be shooting for in life to please God, then, then what does that mean? How do we pursue it? Well, it is the same word that Jesus used uh, when he uh, spoke in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Same word, perfect mature. When, when we think of perfection, you and I tend to think of kind of the Greek idea of perfection, the Western idea of perfection, which means without flaw. It means it's, it's kind of almost this impossible ideal that we shoot for. It can be discouraging, actually. But the Hebrew idea of the word perfect is, is the idea of, of completing what something was made to do. It's accomplishing what, what God put something here to do. And so it's the idea, really, of fulfilling a calling. So when Jesus says you are to be perfect, he's saying you should, be, you should fulfill your calling that God has placed on, on your life. When Paul says that we are to be mature, it means that at the end of the day, at the end of our life, then we want to accomplish what God has put us here to do and he has a calling on each one of our lives 
So God's goal for us is maturity, to enter into all of that, that at the end of the day, we've accomplished all of it. We've left it all on the field, so to speak, to give everything for what God has put us here to do. But the path there will be hard. I I, I don't want to pretend like, okay, if we just do what God wants us to do, then he's just going to bless us so much that everything's going to go smoothly. The path will be hard. I mean, this, this paragraph here begins and ends with suffering. In verse 29, Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That word struggling there is agion. Okay, we've, we've seen this, we've seen versions of this word already a couple of times in Colossians. It's, it's where we get our word agony from. It's an athletic term in, in the Greek. It's, it calls to mind the idea of the discipline and the work that an athlete does to, to grow in his skills. And so we know that a world-class athlete does not get to be at the top of his game by laying on the couch and eating Fritos and drinking Dr. Pepper. Okay, we know that they don't just lay there and say, okay, God, zap me. I mean, they, they may have, you know, some talent, and they do. I mean, world-class athletes have some innate talent, but they have to develop that. And God has put things inside of each of us, you and me, but we need to develop that. We need to not just be laying on the sofa, lazy, waiting for God to do it all. So we get that because we know it takes work, it takes discipline to, to become everything an athlete is meant to be. But actually, but Paul starts this, he starts it with suffering, he starts it with, with some crazy talk that we don't always get here. In verse 24, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. He says, I rejoice in my, my suffering. That's not something that we hear very many people say, it's certainly not something we're hearing very many people say right now in the midst of the, the discomfort, the discouragement, the difficulties that we are all facing. We're not saying, man, I rejoice in this. Isn't this awesome? I mean, we're not, we're not hearing many people say that. And, and keep in mind that Paul is writing this letter to this church in Colossae. He's writing it from jail. So if we think we have it bad by being restricted in different things and we can't go here and there and beat with people like we would always want to do. I mean, Paul was even more restricted. I mean, he's in jail and he's in jail for doing what God called him to do. I mean, he's in a difficult spot here. And yet he says, I rejoice in my, my sufferings. This is a theme that we hear from Paul over and over and over again. We could spend the next half an hour looking at all the different times that Paul talks about this. But let me just give you one instance in Romans 5 because he applies it actually to to all of us. He uses the same phrase. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. This is really the path to Maturity. He's telling us here how we, we get to be mature. And he says we rejoice in our sufferings. He, he's not saying we rejoice because of our sufferings. That's just weird. We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that because we know that something more is going on. God is doing something more behind the scenes. Suffering produces endurance. 
endurance produces character. We, you and I right now are in the absolute best situation to produce endurance. We all need endurance right now to keep going another day, not knowing when all of this is going to end, not knowing how it's going to end, not knowing what the new normal is going to look like. We all need endurance. And so we have an opportunity to practice these things and to invite God into our sufferings and say, God, teach me, grow me. Endurance produces character. I mean, you know, character is not always something that we're super excited about, but I mean, sometimes I'm quite content with the amount of character that I've achieved to this point, right? God, I don't need you to do any more in me, but he wants to stretch us beyond that. He wants us to become everything that he intended us to be from the beginning, everything he called us to be. And then character produces hope. I mean, if you and I came to a point where we know we can face the difficulties of life and still have hope (laughs) that anything life throws at us we can still have hope i mean what's better than that i mean what's better than that to know that we don't have to fear that we can rest and that's what god wants to do in us as he produces maturity so so that's one of the reasons why paul is rejoicing here in verse 24 He's rejoicing in his suffering. That's at least one of the reasons, because he knows God is up to something. And there's also something else here. It, it seems that he is very honored to be able to suffer with Christ. And so he, he goes on in verse 24 to say, In my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. This, this is an interesting phrase because it sounds like he's saying there was something that Jesus didn't finish and now he's helping Jesus finish. So here's, what, what does this mean? Okay, as I was looking at a lot of scholars and what they have to say about this, there's, there's not a lot of agreement, quite honestly, on exactly what Paul is getting at here. But here's, here's one thing we know. We know something he does not mean. We know that Paul does not mean that there was something inadequate about what Jesus accomplished. And we know that because if we go back to verse 19 in chapter 1, we read this a few weeks ago. uh, For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Christ didn't need Paul. He didn't need anybody else to to complete his work. I mean, he completed what he came to do and to make it possible for all of us and all of creation to be reconciled to him. So that that can't be what Paul means here. I'm not sure, quite honestly, totally what Paul means here when he talks about he's filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions. But I think at least a part of it is is this idea. That, that Paul will share in the sufferings of Christ, as will anyone, any one of us, who is part of Christ, part of the body of Christ. That's kind of part of what it means to be part of the body of Christ. I like what N.T. Wright said. He said, perhaps the church has forgotten how to apply to itself the fact that it is the body of the crucified Messiah. Sometimes we, just, we want Jesus to just deliver us from all the hard stuff in life. And he says, well, he didn't deliver himself from that. He chose to walk into that. And as his body continuing to carry out his calling on, on this planet, he, he calls us into suffering as well. 
And so while God's goal for us is maturity, the path there, the path to get there is going to be hard. Suffering is part of the deal along with the blessings. There's a ton of blessings. We, we can't count the blessings that Christ pours on us, but there's going to be suffering along with that. That's true for Paul, and it's true for anyone in the body of Christ. In verse 25, he says, of which, the, he, he's talking about the body, he's talking about the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. So, so Paul has a ministry. He calls himself a minister. That word minister simply just means servant. And so um, a servant, a minister, is not just a paid staff person. This is back to this idea of calling. Every one of us has a calling. Every one of us should be a minister. Every one of us should be serving. You probably have opportunities right now, whether in, in your workplace to minister to people, to minister hope to people, to serve people and encourage them with hope. You, you, many of us have a lot of opportunities to serve at home, to serve sacrificially, um, maybe even in our community. And serving is hard. Serving is, can be very hard. I mean, if you're really serving, it is sacrificial. It is difficult. And if right now, and, and some of you are at this point at home, and I know, you know, many of us have been cooped up with the same people in the same four walls for, for how many weeks? And we love those people, we do. But being cooped up there, it can be hard-pressed, it can be difficult. You may be very tired. You may be running out of energy. If, if so, then you're in good company. You're in good company with Paul because he's, he's saying here, this, this is hard. This is agony. This is suffering, but it's for a purpose. It's for a purpose of producing maturity. Paul's calling was specifically to share the message of Christ. So he says, in, again, in verse 25, he says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God. It was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, so here's the mystery. We, we could talk about this. I don't have time to talk about this in a lot of detail. But here, here's, the, here's the mystery that has been revealed. It's in, in verse 27. It is Christ in you, plural, the hope of glory. What Paul is saying here is he's talking to this church in Colossae. They are, by and large, not Jewish people. At, at one time in history, the, the, the hope of glory... The revelation of God was made known to the Jewish people specifically. And Paul says the mystery that has been revealed is that the, the hope of Christ is now available for everyone, whether you're Jewish or Gentile. This is, this is non-Jewish people. This is good news for most of us who are listening because most of us don't come from a Jewish background. Most of us weren't born into that. And so because we weren't born into that ethnically, it used to be that there was a separation there, but now God has made it available. He's opened the doors for everyone. And the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We are included now. Because we are, we are with Christ now, we have the hope of eternal life with Christ 
in the future. The hope, not just a, a fluffy boy, I, she, I, I sure hope this happens. It is an expectation hope that we will be eternally with Christ because we are included in him now. Which brings us back to God's win for us in verse 28. Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. God's goal for us is maturity. The path will be hard. I, I, love, I love the word everyone is repeated in verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Maturity is available to everyone. It's not just a select few. So here's, here's the bad news. Okay, I mean, God's, God's win for us is not a comfortable, easy life. That, that's often what we wish God's win for us would be. I was talking with someone this, this week, a friend from, from years ago, doesn't live in, in this area, doesn't attend Grace Point, but he is a Christ follower, and he is a business owner. And he, he made this interesting statement this past week when, when we were talking. He said he, he made a business deal right before going into uh, you know, the, the COVID nightmare that we're in, and it's, it's actually causing his business right now to look really shaky. And he, he stated this question, and, and he said, you know, I just kind of want to ask God, why did he not spare his people? Why did he not let his people know? If we're following him, we're trying to please him, why didn't he let us know that this was coming so that he could spare us from this difficulty? And I didn't, I didn't answer him in the moment because I, I didn't think that the timing was, was really right. But I think the answer to that question is, is what we find here in this passage. And that is that God doesn't guarantee us that. God doesn't guarantee to spare us from all the pain of life. But he does guarantee to be with us through the pain of life. It's interesting. The, the word gospel means good news. And so... So the good news, the gospel is always good news, but the good news is not always feel-good news. Okay, let me say that again in case you missed that. I mean, the gospel is always good news, but the good news is not always feel-good news. Some, sometimes God's call on our life is, is difficult, and the path will be hard. It was hard for Paul as a minister, as a server, as a servant. It, it's hard for those who are on the receiving end of that ministry. And so he, he talks in, in verse 28, he says that we warn everyone. There, there's this whole idea here of, of correction, of having hard conversations. That, quite honestly, is is probably the most difficult thing about my role as a pastor, as a, as a minister, is sometimes I have to have hard conversations with people where I'm observing that they are going off track from what I, I understand and believe that God would be calling them to do. And when I have those conversations, it's hard for me. It's a struggle for me because I'm afraid of offending them. And on the, on the other hand, I'm afraid of offending them and losing all of my connection with them, even losing the relationship, which has happened. And it's hard on the other end, because it's hard to receive that correction. And there have been times where people have walked away from our church, have walked away from a relationship because of this. But 
um, God doesn't call us to, to take the easy route. And he doesn't call us just to try to get along with everybody. Sometimes it's difficult and calls for correction. The goal is maturity. And sometimes that path is hard. So Paul says he's warning everyone and he's teaching everyone. Sometimes teaching can be hard because um, we, we don't naturally know what God's will is. And it's a humbling process to bring ourselves to God and say, God, I need you to teach me. And to even bring ourselves to others who are further along the path of maturity than we are. And to say, would you teach me? Would you help me know what I need to do here? That can be really hard. That's part of the hard path to maturity. But that is the goal. God's goal for us is maturity. The path will be hard. I just want you to know that ahead of time so you're not surprised when it happens. So, so here's my question for you this morning. Um, how do you define the win? How do you think God defines the win for you? Because how we define win determines how we pursue the win. So my question for you is, are you pursuing maturity with the discipline of an athlete? Are you rejoicing in the difficulties that you are encountering in life? Maybe some of you are at a point where you have, you've given up. I mean, maybe you're, you're like, I've had enough difficulty. I really can't process anymore. You're kind of at that point of going into the fetal position and just, I can't, I can't face any more of it. Can I just encourage you? God wants to do something with the difficulties that you're encountering right now. You, you couldn't be in a better position right now to learn perseverance and endurance. And God wants to give you all the resources that, that you need to, to face that. So, so here's what we can ask him. We can come to God and just say, God, would you, would you use my current difficulties to teach me, to grow maturity in me? Would you use my current difficulties, use my difficult situation at work where I'm not sure about my job, I'm not sure if I'm going to have a job, I'm not sure if I'm going to have to let employees go, I'm not sure what school is going to look like, in the fall, I'm not sure if my family is going to get out of this intact because our close quarters at home is surfacing all the, the really hard stuff in our relationships that sometimes gets covered up by our busyness. Whatever the difficult circumstances are that you're facing right now, would you bring that to God and say, God, would you use this difficulty, use this suffering right now to produce maturity in me, knowing that that is your ultimate goal for me? I'll end with this quote from, from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He says, Severe trouble in a true believer has the effect of loosening the soul's roots earthward and tightening the heart's anchor hold heavenward. As we think about the idea of finding solid ground in a shifting world, man, what better way? To say that we want to loosen our roots from earth and tighten our anchor hold to heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have a purpose through every single thing that happens in life. The good, the bad, the difficult, the, the suffering. And Lord, I know that many people who are listening right now are, are facing difficulties, if not outright suffering. And so I pray, Father, that you would 
speak hope to their hearts this morning, that you want to do something great. You, you want to do something in their life that really can only happen when we go through difficulties. And I pray, Father, that you would be producing maturity in each of us, that we would not give up, that we would not just lay on the couch when we should be working, but that we will pursue the maturity through the hard path, the maturity that you want for us, the calling, fulfilling the calling that at the end of the day, when we stand before you, you would be able to say to each one of us, well done, good and faithful servant. The service was not easy, but you stuck in there. You drew on my strength and you made it to the end. Lord, Lord Jesus, give us the strength that we may each stand before you unashamed in that day. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. I want to remind you that there are some follow-up discussion questions available on our live stream page. You can download that and talk about that with your family or use that for, for reflection on your own. Uh, we also have family resources available as well on our live stream page. Keep in mind this week that we can rejoice in our sufferings, not because of our sufferings, but we can rejoice in the midst of our sufferings. Why? Knowing that suffering produces perseverance. Endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Have a hope-filled week following Jesus. We will look forward to seeing you next Sunday.